All right, let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 28, please. Genesis 28. In Genesis chapter 28. And I'm not sure if you're aware of it, the song that we just sang, Near My God to Thee, it did not start at the Titanic. Amen. For for those of you that... Most people know this song as the Titanic song, you know, it's the one. And by the way, it's, it's not like Hollywood put that in for the movie Titanic. It's a real historical fact that there were some musicians that stayed behind on the Titanic as it was going down and played this song um, all the way until people were, were finished. So it was a very moving song, meant a lot for a lot of people. But the song doesn't come from the Titanic although it certainly has that connection, the song comes from Genesis chapter 28. This is a song about Jacob. And we, I'm going to lay a little foundation. I'd like to preach to you today about dwelling at Bethel. Dwelling at Bethel is the name of my sermon. But I've got to give you some backstory before we get to dwelling at Bethel. So we're going to end up in Genesis 35. We only have seven, cha- seven chapters to cover. So don't get nervous. Don't, don't worry. No problem at all. Genesis 28, and before we read verse 10, can I ask you to bow your heads with me? We, we need to ask for God's help. Father, please, Lord, I appreciate the good singing, the good fellowship we've been able to enjoy. Father, we, we turn our attention now to your word, and Lord, we understand that you exalt your word above all your name. Oh, how serious this is. Father, please help us now. To, to tune in, to have ears to hear. Please speak to our hearts and, Lord, draw us back to Bethel. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Jacob, he's on his way out from his homeland. He has deceived his father per his mother's instruction, might I add. He deceived his dad, Isaac, in chapter 27 and cheated his way into a blessing. And Esau, of course, is upset and is wanting to kill Jacob. And with this in mind, Jacob is, is running. In verse 10, Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Jesus actually alludes to this, by the way, in John chapter 1. He tells Nathanael, one day you'll see the Son of Man with the angels of God ascending and descending on him. And and it completes the picture that Jacob begins to see that Jesus is that divine ladder. He is the connection that allows someone uh, to go from earth up to heaven. He says in verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it into thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is what we often refer to as the Abrahamic blessing. It was given to Abraham back in Genesis 12. That's where it began. It was passed down to Isaac by God in Genesis 26. And now God is giving it to Jacob. 
And what I find so impressive about this is Jacob was not in a good way when he heard this blessing. Jacob has just cheated his dad. He just lied to his dad. He, his brother wants to kill him. His mother uh, corrupted him and talked him into lying about it. It's not as if Jacob is a super spiritual guy. Guys, let's, let's not cheat ourselves this morning and pretend as we read the story of Jacob, we're reading about some spiritual giant. Oh, not so. And that's not my opinion. I'm taking Jacob's own testimony. Jacob stood before Pharaoh at the age of 130 and said, few and evil have been the days of my pilgrimage. He even admits, I am not satisfied with the way I've lived. He's not a spiritual giant. Even in that condition, because of his connection through Abraham to God, God is still going to show up here and say, I know you're not in a good way. And I know you're scared and you're running, but I also want you to know the blessing still applies. Even though you're not a man of your word, you cheated and lied to Isaac, I'm a God of my word. And if I promised you a certain blessing, this is going to happen. In verse number 15, what an amazing verse, God says, and behold, I am with thee. I don't know if there's anything more comforting God could say to a person. Hebrews chapter 13, isn't that what God has said to us? Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That is not a promise that only applies when you're living right. Some of you have been drudging through the dredges of sin all week and you've stumbled into church today and you're a bit down and you're out of the way and God can show up even now and say, listen, I may not be happy with how you got here, but I want you to know my promise still stands. You may wander off from me, but I'm never going to leave you. I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. What a humbling and sobering thing to hear from God when you are backslidden and God says, I'm going to keep working on you. I'm not done with you yet. You may have stumbled out of the way, but I got a big plan and I'm not done working it. Guys, do you understand how this translates to the New Testament? Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We are persuaded that he is able to keep that which we have committed unto him against that day. God's not going to fail no matter how many times we do. Jacob wakes up in verse 16. It says, Jacob awaked out of his sleep. I hope some of you wake up this morning. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. I'm sure as Jacob laid down on those stony pillows that night, all he could think of was Esau showing up to kill him. He had no idea that God was there. I have found it to be true that a lot of times we come to church and we have other things on our mind and we miss the presence of God. And we don't realize that the Lord is in that place. In verse 17, he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? Dreadful, not in the way we often use the word. Dreadful as in, oh, man, this is horrible. I can't stand it. Dreadful as in awe-inspiring. 
able to instill a healthy fear in someone. How dreadful is this place? When, when he finds a place where he can meet with God, he realizes that's not like all the other places. If there's a place where you can consistently meet with God, where he has promised to manifest his presence, that place deserves a certain level of respect, a healthy fear. God help us when the church becomes more of just a social gathering where we feel comfortable just as we would at a coffee shop or the mall. I'm not against coffee shops. I'm not against the mall. But bless God, it's not not Bethel. It's not the house of God. That's not where you expect the presence of God to show up. This is. In verse 17, he says, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. This is the gate of heaven this is where I can get a little taste of what's waiting for me on the other side this is where I can find this sweet intimate communion with God I can find it anywhere amen I can find it anywhere you should look for it everywhere but I know where God says this is my house how does why does Jacob say this is God's house there's a ladder up to heaven right there there's the door There's the gate. You go to somebody's door and it has their name written above the door. Welcome to the Flick's house. That's my house. See, you saw the door with the the name on top. Jacob has seen the door. He's seen the ladder. There's the steps leading up and there's the gate. He says, this is where I can get in. I can find time with God right here. Verse 18, Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar. I love that. The pillows become the pillar. What was a place of sorrow becomes a place of great joy and great meaning. The pillows become a pillar. He set up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. Oh, I like that. Oh, you you need to let that sink in for a moment. This place was so special to him. He pours the oil on that stone that stony pillar because he's anointing the place. He's commemorating it. He wants to make sure that he never forgets what happened at that church service where God showed up when he was least expecting it, when he least deserved it. God showed up. He said, I never want to forget how real, how fresh, how thick the presence of God was. This isn't like any other stone that you find on the side of the road. This stone's special. I'm going to anoint it. In verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel. That's two Hebrew words put together. Beth is the word for house. El is short for Elohim, which is God. The house of God, Bethel. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. What's Luz mean? Luz is the short form of Lucifer. It's the same root word. It means light. Lucifer means light bearer. This is the place where the devil used to do his business and he says, now this is the house of God. That's how drastic the change was. Night and day, heaven and hell, Satan to God. Isn't that how Jesus saved us? He delivered us from the power of of Satan and now we're under the influence and power of God. I love the picture that's drawn here. Verse 20, and Jacob vowed a vow. I like that. He went to the house of God and now he's going to make a long-term commitment. He's going to make a long-term commitment. 
saying, if God will be with me. Oh, now wait a minute, Jacob. Why, why are you saying that? God already said he'll be with, he will be with you. As I mentioned before, Jacob's not a spiritual giant. He's going to make this deal with God. See if this sounds familiar. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on and a good job and a car and an air conditioner. <laughs> and, 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 and. Verse 21, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Oh, Jacob, Jacob, setting terms, are you? I'll worship God. I'll recognize this as a special place, but God, uh, I got to see you fulfill my requirements first. God, you got to answer a few prayers and work out a few things, and then I'll devote my life to you, and I'll worship you, and I'll meet with you at your house on a consistent basis. But God, first, I need to see you work. Oh, friend, that's so backwards. God has already done so much. He deserves our respect, our fear. He deserves our commitment, our devotion. We should just say, God, I know you're a great God. You've already proven how great of a God you are. I don't care if you never bless me in any other way. You've already done too much. So God, here's everything I am. It's not much but it's all yours. You'll be my God because you've proven yourself. Amen. Jacob, he already knows that God burned Sodom and Gomorrah to the ground. That's a pretty, pretty staunch reminder, right? That God's not to be trifled with. He means what he says. How many times do you think Jacob heard the story growing up about the miracle baby? Isaac, his daddy, being born to Abraham and Sarah when they were old. Don't you know that Jacob grew up hearing all these stories sitting on grandpappy's lap? Grandpa Abraham telling him all these wonderful stories about how he walked with God and talked with God. And then Isaac, he got through this and that trouble. He knew. He knew that Jehovah was the right God. He knew who to worship. And yet he still says, well, if God meets my requirements, then... Oh, my friend, that's not, that's backwards. God, you've already met the requirements, so everything I have. He says, then shall the Lord be my God, verse 22, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. I'll bring the tithe into the storehouse. God, that's the least I could do since you're taking care of me. Now, this was Jacob's plan. This, God didn't tell him to draw up this plan. This is Jacob's plan. He says, God, if you fulfill all this, this will be your house. I'll devote myself and all my possessions to you. Now, I don't read anywhere that God responded to this vow. But I, I will show you later that God was listening. Jacob, on the other hand, he makes the vow... He leaves the church service and goes on about his business. Chapter 29. You ready? Here we go. He finds a wife. She comes with baggage. She has a sister. <laughs> and a father-in-law who's a real jerk. That's chapter 29. Are we good? Okay. That's chapter 29. By the end of chapter 29, Rachel and Leah have entered into a baby-making contest. Leah is the, for, she's the front runner. 
Baby, 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 baby. <laughs> Rachel gets angry, chapter 30. I want a baby too. Why can't I have a baby? She gets angry at Jacob, and Jacob says, Oi, it's not my fault. <laughs> Why are you blaming me? I'm not God. I can't do that. I mean, Jacob can honestly say, Listen, it's not me. Me and Leah are getting on fine. Gotta be you, woman. Not the right thing to say. <laughs> so, two other women get involved. <laughs> Not a spiritual giant. So now, by the end of chapter 30, you got all these babies and four women. And now, by the end of chapter 30, you also find that Jacob is real deep into his career. And it's a real hassle. He had to work seven years to pay for the first wife. And then they made a mistake at the shipping company and they shipped him the wrong wife. So he had to work another seven years to get the right wife. How does that work that the, that the shipping company makes the mistake and I pay for it? But that's what happened with Jacob. They, they, they shipped him the wrong one. So he had to work 14 years for the two wives and now he's worked another six years just trying to build a stable foundation, a stable financial foundation moving forward. But Laban, his father-in-law slash boss, be careful about going into business with family. Wow, I got a good response out of that. He was like, yes. <laughs> Their father-in-law doesn't go to this church evidently, right? <laughs> he has changed Jacob's wages 10 different times, constantly making his life difficult. So Jacob says, enough, I'm leaving. Chapter 31. Honeys, can't say honey, there's more than one woman. Honeys, we're leaving. <laughs> Boca, <laughs> right? Not bokey, bo bokies. <laughs> we're leaving. <laughs> and they get up to leave. And you know what the women say? Huh. So God has delivered all of our dad's money to you. Okay, well, then we'll follow you since our dad doesn't have any money. Yeah, no problem. We'll, we'll go back to your homeland. No issues. So the women are following the money as well. It has nothing to do with the will of God. Jacob didn't say, hey, listen, I made God a vow that if he took care of me and, and brought me safely through all of this that I would go back and worship him in that special place. Never crossed Jacob's mind. He just said, listen, we got the money I don't like my job. Let's move. Let's go back. Ladies say, okay, let's do it. So, chapter 32. Laban pitched a big fit, caused a scene, but they got it all worked out. Chapter 32, Jacob is now traveling back towards his homeland, what they would, the land of Canaan at that time. And right about this time, he sends out some messengers to Esau. Because he knows, if I'm going to go back to my homeland, I'm going to have to deal with this Esau situation. It's been 20 years. Maybe Esau's forgotten about being cheated out of the blessing. You see, Jacob's between a rock and a hard place. You've got Laban on one side, the father-in-law, and then you've got Esau on the other side. Man, where does he go? He says, let me, let me roll the dice and see what I get out of Esau. He sends messengers. The messengers come back and say, sure, Esau's coming with about 400 soldiers. Jacob doesn't even hear the rest of the story. He panics. He freaks out. Oh, I'm going to die. And for the first time recorded in Scripture, Jacob prayed. In, 
In chapter 28, he made a vow, but it really wasn't prayer. It was just Jacob setting terms. That's not prayer. For the first time, he begins to pray, and he says, God, verse number 11, deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob says, oh God, don't forget your promise, as if God could. So now he's finally prayed. He doesn't wait for an answer to that prayer. He just goes on making plans and he comes up with this lecker plan to calm Esau down and he sends, he sends his wives with his children out, all of his servants. They send this massive gift to Esau trying to impress him. By the end of chapter 32, Jacob is alone and you read about him wrestling with God throughout the night. He has a private prayer meeting because before you go back to Bethel, you should have a prayer meeting. Those of you that come on Saturday nights, you'll understand that reference. You know what happens? Jacob gets a hold of, of this, the angel of the Lord, and he's, he's hanging on so tight, the angel is getting tired of it and says, let me go. Jacob says, no, I'm not going to let go. Not until you bless me. L let me point something out. It's still all about Jacob. The reason he is wrestling with God is so that he can get a blessing. You folks understand that? You know what the angel says? You want a blessing, do you? He said, you can see it in verse 26. He said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Verse 27, he said unto him, what's, the, what's your name? What is thy name? You want a blessing? Okay, I'll give you a blessing. It's not the blessing he was looking for. Jacob, what's your name? Uh, Jacob, you know what that name means? Liar supplanter, deceiver. That's where all this problem started with him deceiving Isaac. He said, uh, tell me your name. He said, no, oh, I'm, I'm Jacob. He said, all right. Verse 28, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. Israel means a prince of God. He says, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. The blessing that Jacob got was becoming a different person. You're going to leave that Jacob part of your life behind and you're going to move on as Israel. And just so that you never forget what happened here, and the angel touched him right there in the hollow of his thigh to where for the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. See, after you have a real meeting with God, you don't leave the same way you came. It changes you. changes the way you walk. changes you you know what happened the next morning or the next that the next event he's prayed all through the night Jacob lifts up his eyes chapter 33 sees Esau coming he's scared to death he sends out his wife and children to act as a barrier <laughs> brave man of God <laughs> and after he sends him out in front he comes running up from the back and he says Esau Esau and he falls down and he shows him some respect and Esau runs to him can you imagine Jacob's heart beating out of his chest as Esau's running at him? He's going, oh man, here it comes. And Esau opens up his arms and falls on his neck and weeps and hugs him and kisses his neck and says, man, I'm so glad to see you. The problem that he thought he was facing wasn't even a problem. He was worried about nothing. You know, that's pretty much how a lot of life's 
problems work out, we are far more worried than the problem, the, the size of our worry is far greater than the actual size of the problem. Jacob and Esau end up having some fellowship. They talk for a bit and then they make a plan. Esau says, Jacob, come on back to my place. I'd like to show you what God's, well, I'm sorry, not what God's been doing, but how life has turned out. Esau wasn't much worried about God. Jacob said, well, that sounds pretty good. I tell you what, let's, let's, uh, let's just start making our way that direction to the land of Seir, S-E-I-R. But as they're going, Jacob said, uh, Esau, you go ahead. I got a lot of, uh, it's a lot of stuff, a lot of hooters, and you know, we can't travel as fast, and I don't want to push the wife and kids too, too fast, too far. You go on ahead. Now, what Jacob's really doing is getting out of going to Esau's house. How many times have we done that? Somebody invites us over and, well, you know, I would. I'd love to come, but my wife, you know, she's tired. <laughs> a lot of men get married so they have a full-time excuse <laughs> to get out of stuff. <laughs> I would, but the wife and kids, you know. So, verse number 15, let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. And he said, what needeth it? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. Esau said, I'll leave a few of my folks with you so that they can show you the path to my house. And Jacob said, ah, don't worry about it. Ah, Muniwedani, we'll find it. We'll get there. He had no intention of going there. None at all. Esau goes back to Seir, but watch verse 17. Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built him a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth. And then from there it says, verse 18, Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, where he came, or when he came from Paden Aram and pitched his tent before the city. He bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent and so forth. You know what happens? Jacob comes back to the land of Canaan and he just sets up a tent Make sure he's got enough field for the animals, family, business. It's all that's on his mind. He never once thought about going to Bethel. Not once. So chapter 34, you know what happens? His teenage daughter, Dinah, oh, she's about 16, 17 years old. She starts hanging out with the locals. Starts running around with one of the big shots, young man named Shechem. He's like the king's son. They end up fornicating, sleeping together outside of marriage. A lot of people say it was rape. I don't see rape in this story because Dinah was willing to marry this guy afterwards. She ends up running around with a bad crowd and now all of a sudden the deal that happens is the men of Shechem's land, the Hamerites, they want to, they want to join in with Israel and make the two, two people groups one. Oh, that was a bad mistake. So Simeon and Levi, they say, no, no, we'll do it as long as all the men of Hamor, as long as you all get circumcised. So they do, and while the men are sore, Simeon and Levi come in, clobber the nation and the nation, the, clobber that city and destroy them. By the end of chapter 34, verse number 30, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, ye have troubled me to make me distinct among the inhabitants of, of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I, being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. Now their response is, hey, he treated our sister like a harlot. We can't let that slide. But man, they just killed an entire city. Things have spun out of control. Jacob's family is out of control. Everything's fine at work. 
His family's suffering. You know what Jacob has forgotten about completely? Where's Bethel? Completely forgot about it. How long has he been back in the land? Long enough to kill an entire city? And yet not one time did he say to any of his family, let's go to Bethel. Let's go back and meet with God there at the house of God. Not one time. Chapter 35, verse 1, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Don't just visit. Dwell there. So we sang it this morning. Do you remember singing it? And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? Uh, I'm not just going to visit. I'm going to set up shop. I'm going to pitch a tent. I'm going to live there. I'm going to spend some time there. It was God's idea. God was listening to the vow that Jacob made back in chapter 28, 20 years ago, before life got busy with job and family. Before job and family took the place of all of Jacob's attention. God said, oh, Jacob, I'd like for you to come back. Remember that time when you were down and out and no one seemed to care about you and I showed up and reminded you of just how good I am and how much I can do for you? Jacob, come on back to Bethel because you've hit a low point, Jacob. Your sons are murderers. Your, wa- your, your daughters are a harlot. Your wives are worshiping strange gods. You have hit rock bottom. It's time for you to come back to Bethel and dwell there. Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Say, Brother Mike, is the presence of God a geographical thing or can you find him anywhere? You can find God anywhere, but when God says, I'm going to be there and I want you to also be in that same place so that we can meet, you better believe that the presence of God is geographical. Let me prove it further. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. It is the desire of Jesus Christ to knock on a door and have somebody open it so that he can fellowship with them personally. Now you need to make sure you're on the inside of that building where that door's at. Lest he comes and knocks on that door. If you're in the wrong building, you're not going to hear that knock. Say, well, I don't believe that. I think we can just meet with God anywhere. I can meet with God on a golf course. I can meet with him in a fishing boat. I've been on golf courses and fishing boats, and I know how people cuss when they hit a bad shot and don't catch a fish. (laughs) Very rarely do they meet with God. (laughs) You can find God in any place you look for him, but he has specifically said, come to Bethel. Come Come meet with me there. And while you're there, make an altar. Make an altar. An altar is a place of intimate communion with God. It is a place where you have to take some time to build it. In the biblical times, they would use stones. They would build this altar, and then they'd put a grate in it, put some fire in it. You guys know it as a bry pit. I mean, now, now you're with me. Now, oh, yes, okay, yeah. We know what that is. So you build an altar. And it was a place where you could sacrifice something to God. Now, this is a way for you to show God just how serious you are about whatever commitment you're making at that altar. 
God said, go to Bethel and make an altar. Folks, if you're going to come to Bethel, you might as well plan on making an altar where you can personally commune with God. You make the altar. Can you imagine if God had told the Israelites, make an altar where you can burn the animals? And they said, ah, why do we have to make the altar? Can't we just kill the animal at home and bry it there? God said, yes, but I want you to come to this temple where I'm going to put my name in my presence. I want you to come here, bring the animal here, slay it here, burn it here, commune with me here. Now, if that's the way God set it up, why would we respond and say, but I want to do it my way? That's not convenient. That's too far. I'm too busy. No, God said, come to Bethel and make an altar. Brother Mike, why do we have to come forward at the end of the service? Why... Why is it that we have to come forward to pray? Well, you don't. Have I ever forced you? I, I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to force you. But I would like to ask you this. Why wouldn't you want to come? Can anyone show me the verse in the Bible that says you shouldn't come forward? Anybody got that verse? Anybody got a verse that says we shouldn't make an altar in a church? Because I believe that the old timers, what they did is they found exactly that. They found this in the Bible. It says, come to Bethel and make an altar. So they said, okay, we'll come and we'll make an altar. And we'll set it up. There we go. By doing this, you know what I've done? I'm making plans for somebody to meet with God personally. I'm making it available. If you won't pray at it, I will. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to make sure as I'm coming to the house of God that there's, it's not just showing up to go through the motions, a social club, have a good time, get entertained, go home. That's the fluff of it. But the real reason for coming to the house of God is to have that intimate communion, that connection to show God just how serious you are. To say, God, I showed up in one condition, my family falling apart, false gods everywhere, bad behavior, my boys are murderers. My girl's a harlot. My job, I, I don't know what's going on, God. I'm a wreck. And he says, all right, now come to Bethel, make an altar. Because you and I, we need to, we need to get that commitment sorted out. Because 20 years ago, you took me seriously, but you're not taking it so serious nowadays. You've just forgotten about Bethel, and you're just doing it your way. Your granddad had an altar. Abraham did. Your dad had an altar. Isaac did. He says, Jacob, you need an altar. Do you know Jacob hadn't made an altar yet? He says, go to Bethel, make an altar. Say, Brother Mike, I've never been to the altar. Oh, you're missing out. You're missing out. Say, is it really that special? Well, if your heart's in it. Do you know how much guts it takes to get up in a crowded church, come to the front and pray in front of everybody? Oh, they're all going to see me. You know what? By the time you get to the front, you don't care because you've come to meet with God. Verse number two, then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. Jacob said this. God didn't tell him to do this. Jacob said, he'd already made his decision. We're going to the house of God. Now, family, we've got to get some things straightened up. Please understand, your life might be a mess 
and you show up in the house of God and you don't realize how much of a mess it is, and then once you hear the right way to live in the church, you can clean it up. But for some of you, you know full well what you've been doing is wrong, and you already know that some things need to go. You need to put some things away. And if you want God to take you seriously before you ever show up, you, you examine your heart and you put all that filth away. He says, put away the strange gods. How did this happen? In the household of Jacob, a bunch of strange gods, a, a bunch of things, distractions, idols that came in between them and the true God of heaven. I don't know, what are your idols? What things are taking the place of God in your life? Is it sports? Is it education? Is it hobbies? Is it friends? Is it money? What, what is it that's become so important to you that God gets blurry and all you can see is that thing? Put it away. Put it away. Be clean. I think that means more than just wash your face. Although, please, wash your face before you come to church. <laughs> that's just good preaching. Clean, clean your heart. Clean your mouth. Clean your mind. Clean the thing up. He says at the end of the verse, change your garments. Why? They had, they had started dressing like all the other parasites. Not, not parasites, parasites. <laughs> they started dressing like all of them. They, they wanted to just fit in with the culture around them. I think most of you know me by now. I am not what they call a haircut preacher. I don't go around trying to force a bunch of standards on you and you have to dress this way or cut your hair that way. I, I hate that kind of preaching. I like to stick right where the Bible sticks. You need, ladies, this is directed at you because the Apostle Paul directed it at you. Dress modestly. Dress modestly. Isn't it enough to say that we want to see the inner man, not the outward man? I believe that's enough preaching on what you should wear, but... I, in verse number two, Jacob realizes if we're going to go down to the house of God, we can't go there while we're living like the world. We're not going to mix the two. We're not going to bring the world into the church and ask the church to adopt a worldly culture. Bethel's a special place and it requires the right kind of behavior, a behavior that's fitting for God. In verse number three, he says, let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make... I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. Dads, might I preach to you for a moment? I gave something for the ladies. Let me say something to the men. Jacob made this decision. The dad, the man of the house said, we're going to church. And we're not just going to go to church. I'm going to make an altar. I will set the example I will show my family what it looks like to draw nigh to God, to take it seriously. He said, I'll make the altar unto God and I'm going to remember what God did for me all those years ago and this vow that I made to Him, I'm going to take it serious. I get this a lot. Every time I have a visitor from America show up in South Africa, somebody always asks me, have you bride with them yet? Every time. Every time. Somebody says, but, but have you had a bride yet? Because we're not allowed to, leave, to let people leave South Africa without having a bride with them. It's like tradition, right? And, and it's a fine one. I'm not condemning that. Don't worry. I'm not preaching against brides. Don't worry. <laughs> Easy. So, so as best I can tell, it's very common around here 
to gather a fire and put some meat on it and let the smoke rise up to heaven while you all stand around that little bride pit and, and fellowship. That, that's, that's very common, right? Oh my goodness, that's just an altar. <laughs> You've built an altar and you called it a bride pit. That's it. Some of you actually make them out of stones and bricks so that it's permanent, so that you can do it all the time. Some of you like to take your altar with you so you have it on wheels and you can roll it. Some of you like fast-acting bride pits so you have the gas instead of the coals because you want to cook now. Oh, man, you guys are big into your bride pits. You like your altars. Everybody's concerned about me making sure that somebody has a South African bride before they go home. I want to make sure that you get to visit God's altar before you go home. I don't want you to miss out on that experience. To be honest, though, it really starts in your heart. How far down do you have to go, Jacob, before you hear the voice of God saying, come back to Bethel and stay here and build an altar for me? How many years? 20? Is that how long it's going to take? 20 years. Verse 4, they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. So they were decorated like the Perizzites and Canaanites and trying to look like them. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. So he says, let's put the old life away. And, and Jacob, well done. I'm going to give him a thumbs up there. He did good to, to get rid of those old, the old life. However, I would have rathered him burn those things or dump them in the river because if you hide them under an oak you're very tempted to go back and dig them up again because you know where they're at. It's kind of like being on a diet and you hide the chocolate cake. You know, if you're hiding it, you know where it's at. You're not really doing anything. You, you need to give it to your pastor and then I will get rid of it. You know, I am here to help. I will sacrifice myself for you. You see, what happens is we bury it under the oak at Shechem on Sunday as we're on our way to church but then Monday morning we walk out the house with our shovel and we go dig it up again better to just get rid of the things but but for Jacob this is an improvement let's get the old life behind us verse 5 and they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob that's what he was afraid of he was afraid of everybody attacking him because of what his boys had done. But as he was approaching Bethel, God somehow got the attention of those other nations and said, don't you touch my people. You know what I've found? A lot of, a lot of the world around us, they really scoff at the church. They don't take the disciples of Christ very seriously. And I wonder if it's because we don't take Bethel very seriously. If, imagine this, what if Jacob had made his way towards Bethel, but they still have on the earrings and the false gods and the, and the, and the clothes. They, they look and act and talk just like the world. There's a chance that the Perizzites and Canaanites would have said, hey, these people aren't serious. They might talk about this Jehovah God, but they're not serious and they wouldn't have seen anything different. But because they look different, sound different, walk different, 
Everybody else says, okay, something's different here. And the terror of God falls upon them. They say, I don't think we should mess with them. They seem pretty serious about their God. I wonder if we took Bethel a little more serious, if, if the people around us might take Christianity more serious. And the fear of God might fall on them, but it's going to first have to fall on us. The realness of God has to fall down here first. And then they might see it as well. In verse number 6, So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan. That is Bethel. He and all, his, all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of of his brother. In verse number six, I, I like the, the end of it there, if I can just point it out. It says, He and all the people that were with him. Jacob brought visitors. <laughs> he, he brought people with. He brought his family. He brought the servants. He brought everybody. Do you know what makes church a little more exciting is when you bring visitors? Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever brought a visitor? Whenever, whenever you have a visitor with you, you're much more worried about what I'm going to say. Aren't you? I, some of you, that you never talk to me. You never come around until you bring a visitor. And then you come up and you shake my hand and say, Brother Mike, Brother Mike, you pull me in real tight. Psst, psst, hey, come here. My visitor is very sensitive about this and this, so please don't say that. <laughs> hey, I appreciate the heads up. I do. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to stop that. It's just amazing how interested you became because you got a visitor. And man, do you hope that we sing good songs that day. Please choose songs the church knows. We don't want to learn a new one on the day with a visitor. Because then we're all going, ha, 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 sounds so bad. We don't want that. We don't want that. Bring a visitor. I'm going to leave that there. There's a few more things I wanted to say. But verse number seven, it says he built there an altar. And called the place, and I like this, El Bethel. He didn't call it Bethel. He'd already called it that. But here's what he found. After making the altar, he found El Bethel. You understand what that means? The God of the house of God. Do you folks understand why we have church and why we emphasize it the way we do? We're not interested in becoming popular. We're not interested in impressing the town with some fancy building or special programs and guys that's not it at all the reason we have these services the reason we we do it three times every Sunday and midweeks and the reason we we try to spend so much time together around each other and around the word is so that we can draw people closer to God we are begging you we are making altars people set up this church every Saturday and pray so that people will show up and meet with God Meet with the, with, with the God of the house of God. We've made an altar. That's not very fancy. It's the best I could do. Sermon's not real fancy. It's the best I could do. Jacob, how long has it been since you took Bethel seriously? Does God maybe need to remind you, arise, come to Bethel, build an altar. Come meet with me. Let's renew that vow. You realize what happens after this? 
Jacob ends up heading down to Egypt, meeting Joseph again, and his family ends up riding high. They make it through the famine just fine. God fulfilled his promise. God took care of him. God will do what he said, but you need to come back to Bethel. You need to get that personal fellowship with him. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Caleb will play something softly. I, I want... You folks now, you got your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want you to listen to this. David said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David said, I want to be at the house of God so that I can see how beautiful He is. Make an altar, friend. I'm not asking you to do this for our church. I get no money out of this. I get no, I get no praise out of this. I beg God every week, every day, I beg God to draw you folks closer to Him. We're not a perfect church. But we do want you to meet with God. We want to tell you all about Jesus and how He can get you right with God. You know, 20 years goes by and a lot of Silly little things slip into our lives. A lot of strange gods. A lot of worldly ways just kind of slip in. Arise. Come to Bethel. Dwell there. You need to make a plan to be here. Make a plan to be there. Jacob said, we're going to go. Dads, have you made that plan? Or do you tell your family all the reasons they don't need to go? We're going to be there because we want to meet with God. We've just about run out of room at the altar. How about, you can use your chair. Why don't you make an altar right there? Say, why do I have to do that? Why not? Why not show God how serious you are? Folks, take your time here at the altar. We've come to church so that we can worship God in spirit and in truth. We don't need to rush that.
For 20 years, Jacob never, never thought about Bethel. You know, when he came back to Bethel, you know what happened? God started using that new name he gave him. He said, now you're properly Israel. That new name didn't kick in until he made it back to Bethel. The new person, the new creature that you need to be, it'll only start showing up when you take Bethel serious. God, my desire this morning was only to help, Lord. You know my heart. I love these people. I want to help them, Lord. I don't need them to be here for me, God. If only five of them came, I'd preach to five, Lord. I'm not interested in the big numbers, God, but I sure would like for you to come down and meet with us. It breaks my heart, Lord, to think that somebody can come and go and never, never have uh, sensed your presence. It pains me, Lord, year after year to see people pop in and pop out and never make an altar. Lord, you're the one that told us to come back to Bethel. Lord, help me. Help me as the pastor. Oh, God, help me to take, take this place more serious. As serious as you want me to take it. Make me a better pastor for these people. Father, if there maybe are some today that Family and career has taken the place of God. Maybe they've been distracted, Lord. Call them home. Please bring them home today. Thank you for being so faithful. Lord, please keep our hearts soft. Let this place always be special for us, Lord. A place where we can meet with you. That's our, that's our chief desire. That's what we want. We want to meet with you. Father, even tonight, please bring us back again. We want to hear from you again. Oh, please, God, speak to our hearts. We beg you, God, please, come down and speak to our hearts. Thank you for helping us this morning. Help us not to take it lightly. Help us not to forget it soon, Lord. Help us to put it to use. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.